This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Who do we appreciate? And that's how it goes, Stanley. I don't think that's how, how it goes. Get that wrong? Who are we going to turn up with today? Well, anyway, guys. Good morning. That's Stanley in the background doing Gucci Man, a Juicy Man. No, that's um, OJ the Juicy Man. Oh, OJ the Juicy Man. Okay. I get them, I get them confused sometimes. Why, is my, why are my headphones so loud? Yeah, oh. why am I so low? Why are you so low? Yours are at the top level. I can't hear anything. That's because you are going to hear things now. Okay, guys. So, Stanley makes no sense, but it is Sunday morning. Happy Sunday to everyone. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. On 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Did I mention, Selena, that I sold our soul to Scatter Radio? (laughs) (laughs) Scatter Radio! I mean, well, we didn't sell our souls, but we now are broadcasting live on ScatterRadio.com. And we also are affiliate in their network. So, that means that you can catch our old shows on ScatterRadio.com. And you can also just check out a whole bunch of different organic grassroots shows on scatterradio.com. It's basically a platform for people who have radio shows or podcasts and they speak from, they they speak to different people or you know they have a different range of shows. You have like comedians on there, you have political shows like our show and then like fun shows and entertainment shows. So definitely check out scatterradio.com. And they're also on our website too. So if you were to go to lyvbh.com you can see Scott Radio right on our website, and you can head over to their link. So, guys, speaking of Scatter Radio and being scatterbrained. So, I wasn't here last week. Um, <laughs> what? Is, are your headphones working better, Selena? You just had no, like, transition. Yo, what yo, I was don't hate on my shine. Okay. Speaking of transition, guys, we have yeah. a guest in the studio. I can't be <laughs> No, you know what? You are not gonna troll me today. Didn't we tell our guest not to bang on the table or the chairs, and then she's doing that right now? Not you, Selena. But I did bang on the chair. I banged on the chair. I'm sorry, guys. I'm also very congested. It's allergies, so forgive me if I sound very nasally today. Miss Deborah, she's lying. No, it's Come true. I can't. I literally cannot breathe. Can I give my name, like, really quickly? Sorry, like, sorry. Would I be My whole to goal is to troll you the show. Like, I made that goal this morning when I woke up. And you're a horrible person. Thank All you. All right, guys. So, <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet, my name is Selena Hill. And on Snapchat, it's s.hill2020 <clears throat> because I just really like the year 2020, even though it didn't happen I'm, yet. And the show. I thought, you did that. I thought you did that because you wanted to be Barbara Walters. <laughs> That's why a lot of people have so many theories about why I use the numbers 2020. Is that not it? No, that's not it. Oh, <laughs> so you just like 2020? Yeah, like I think it's going to be a really cool year. And I've been using that for the last 15 years of my life. What are you going to do when 2020 passes? And then like, <laughs> <laughs> what happens then? <laughs> Selena's dying, we'll, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. So guys, you can also follow me on... Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill with an MS, the, um, of course. So it's MS Selena Hill. Stanley, go ahead. The, the, the so why is it MS? Stop it. MS because... You're not married. No, because it's not important for my marital status to be broadcast. Are you sure? I'm positive. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay. All right. I didn't say anything. Look, you see how paranoid she is? Can you continue, please? Thank you. <laughs> You see, this is what happens when Alyssa's not here. Just FYI, my, guys. If my, Alyssa was here, she would have shut you down with a legal argument by now. And I would have stone cold stunned her. So my name is Stanley Fritz, and I'm your favorite engineer on the PC ones and twos, and I love making fun of Selena because it gets her so off her game. <laughs> also, I had a very large drink yesterday, and I'm not sure how I got home. Just kidding. I took the A train, then walked four blocks to get to my building. Then went right to sleep after I took a shower. See? Totally comprehensive and sober. You can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz or on Instagram at DarkSkinSwindle or on Snapchat at DarkSkinSwindle or on the bike life on the Strava, <laughs> Stanley-Fritz.
Spritz. That's also my Venmo if you want to give me money. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and like I mentioned, Alyssa's not here. She's our in-house legal correspondent, but she's away this weekend. She'll probably be back next weekend, God willing, so look out for her mm-hmm. next weekend. But we have a very special guest who's joining us in studio. Her name is Tiffany Brown. Um, Tiffany, did you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. So my name is Tiffany Brown. <laughs> I am an organizer, and you can follow me on Twitter at TiffLizB, T-I-F-F-L-I-Z. B, or and it's the same for Instagram as well, and I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Tiffany is also a member of the New York Justice League. Yes, she works at Night Perv, yes. where Stanley used to work um, mm-hmm. as an organizer. I'm an organizer, and I do higher education uh, advocacy work as well. Definitely, yes. And you're a millennial, which is pretty cool. Millennial, yes. My birthday's coming up. Gonna be Uh-oh. 27, guys. Whoa! Happy yeah. birthday, bro! Happy <laughs> early birthday. Yeah, it's in October, but still. I know. Oh, it's that's a while. You got a little bit. No, yeah. Enjoy 26 while you can. I know, right? I'm Basically. Selena is between 23 and 26 years old. Anyway. As well. <laughs> I know. Ooh, that's it's shady. Gonna, it's going to stay like that, too. All right, guys. So we have a great show lined up. We're going to start off talking about Hurricane Katrina yes. 10 years later, the aftermath, the resiliency of the city, and what still needs to be done. I mean, I, I read a lot of articles online recently and they just kept talking about all the progress in the city but then when i watched a few docu- mini documentaries on youtube it talked about what still needs to be done so like this is a, a gap i think in media coverage right now like you're hearing a lot of the positive but we're not necessarily hearing about the negative and the neglected so we have a very special guest who will be calling in all the way from new orleans aka nola aka nolens and i probably did a horrible accent just now atrocious stop it <laughs> um, but uh, She'll be calling in a few more moments. And then later on the show, we'll be speaking with Jamia Wilson from WAM, which is a huge organization and advocacy group for feminism and social activism. And we'll be talking about Black Lives Matter. This is definitely a conversation that you guys are going to want to join because we're going to be asking the question, is it a moment or a movement? And we're basically just, you know, throwing it out there because it's Black Lives Matter has been getting a lot of controversy. It has been in the middle of a lot of controversy, and it has been getting a lot of criticism lately for their strategy and their tactics. So we just want to take, uh, examine it and look at it from a broader perspective and say, well, you know what? From 10 years from now, how is Black Lives Matter going to really affect or, or, or make history? Will it be another Occupy? Or will it be another Occupy Wall Street? Is that necessarily a bad thing? Or and is that necessarily a bad thing? No, I was, I was just kind of like asking. I didn't mean to interrupt your second, <laughs> Selena. And then last but not least, Stanley will be doing the quickie because, again, Alyssa's not here, but he's going to be breaking down Donald Trump's immigration plan and how he wants to deport all undocumented workers. Well, not just deport per se, but yeah. So pretty much if his plan went through, just a real quick, damn, that's what the quickie is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's about to do the whole segment now. Yeah, just very briefly. I switched it up. If his plane went through, I'd be an undocumented person, and I would oh, have to leave wow. this country. Ooh, that was a great teaser. So he's going to give a full explanation <laughs> of how Donald Trump is basically trying to snatch everyone's birthright um, away, except for, I guess, him and his family. But all right, guys, we're going to go on a quick break, and we're actually going to throw it back all the way to, what, 99? Nolens. 99. All right, guys. 2000. Oh, 2000. 99 <laughs> 2000. We'll be right back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Yeah. 
And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. When was the last time we played a song to completion on this show, Selena? <laughs> I don't remember. You don't remember, right? Neither do I. Do you know why we played that entire song to completion? No. Neither do I. But anyways, <laughs> guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, where we talk about news, politics, social issues, the Millie Rock. Because my block is word. Selena is. I don't know. Selena's Millie rocking or having a seizure because I know she is congested. But who knows? No, guys. I was Stanley showed me the YouTube video earlier today, and we were just talking about it. You know how Stanley likes to get ratchet at times, but we are gonna jump into a very serious conversation now. We'll be talking about Katrina Ten. Of course, we know this is the ten year uh, anniversary of arguably one of the worst natural disasters in our American history. Now. A few uh, back in 2006 and 2007, I actually had the privilege to go down to New Orleans for um, about a week and see firsthandedly not only the damage that the that the storm did, but the the neglect and the fact that there wasn't a lot of progression in certain areas, especially the Lower Ninth Ward, which is um, mostly inhabited by Black. Um, homeowners of low income and of low means. So, I mean, even to this day, it still pretty much looks bad. No, it... it how, can, how can we say this? So, if you ask any elected official who's in New Orleans, or pretty, actually any elected official in, in the nation, and you ask them about New Orleans, they will say that the place has just done a complete 180. There are more restaurants today in New Orleans yes, than there so. were before Hurricane Katrina. Yep. And they and they just got that great lawsuit money from BP Oil, so they have at least $44 million to redevelop, even though BP Oil dumped a whole bunch of oil into the coast and pretty much decimated their seafood mm. industry. But hey, who's counting that, right? And then also, if you really want to talk about New Orleans and how great they're doing, we got to talk about the fact that a lot of the people in that community are upwardly mobile except for people of color. Did I mention that even though African Americans make up about 59% of New Orleans, if I'm correct, and I could be wrong because my number is a little bit faulty, and actually because my internet is slowing down so I can't get to my uh, my notes, they only make about 48% of that upper, of, of that like employment growth, which means a large majority of the people of color who live in New Orleans are still struggling financially, and people keep boasting about how much redevelopment has happened in New Orleans and how there are so many new houses and so many people are doing so well, and the fact that New Orleans is up to 79% of the population it had before the hurricane. So what I mean by that is if there were 10 people in New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina and after the hurricane, there were only about four people left, Today, in 2015, 10 years later, there are seven people here. But the problem is no one counted how many people were missing, so we don't know if these are returning people or new people, but that's not important. We had over a 1,000 deaths because of the hurricane, and that includes people drowning and people dying afterwards, you know, little things like that. But a lot of these people have still not actually been identified. But New Orleans is strong. Bourbon Street is awesome. There's so much money to spend, and you can go up financially if you're white. And your house is recovered, and you're good unless you're poor. And you know what? Everyone had an equal opportunity unless you're poor or you're black. Hmm. 
Who knows? Maybe it's just a coincidence. But anyways, guys, I am not here to depress you or just talk a lot of crap about New Orleans because I actually want to visit that place one day and possibly be scared to death because we all know anytime I go anywhere south of New York, and that includes South Jamaica, I get nervous because we all know black people ain't too famous in other places outside of maybe two blocks in Harlem, four blocks in Brooklyn, and one street in Queens. To help us with this conversation, though, because we all know that I am no expert on any of these things, we have a wonderful guest, and her name is Tabitha Mustafa. And forgive me, guys. Guys, at the moment, my computer, my phone is acting up, and I was trying to read her bio. I can't get access to it at the moment, but I promise you, as soon as I get it, I will read it to you. Up, oh, Selena, you are super clutch. So, Tabitha Mustafa, and if I butchered your last name, I want you to come on air and punch me in the ear. She is a native New Orleans. New Orleanian, wow, and an active part of the city's social justice community, and we all know I love community organizers and social justice people. She has worked on grassroots organizing efforts on various issues, including criminal justice, immigrant rights, racial, and food justice, and trust me, one of the biggest issues in communities of color is food deserts. So what do we mean by that? We're talking about you have a freaking KFC, you have fried chicken, you have all sorts of this unhealthy food, but you can't find fruits, and if you do find fruits or vegetables, they're either in poor quality or super expensive. And then they say, oh, why is everyone so unhealthy? Well, there you go. Anyways, currently, Tabitha works as the core organizer of New Orleans Palestinian Solidarity Committee and the program associate for the Peace by Peace program of American Friends Service Committee. And her number's here, too, but you don't get to have that, guys. (laughs) So, Tabitha, first of all, thank you so much for calling in today and being our guest. I'm really excited to talk to you about everything that's going on. But before we start this segment, I had to ask you a question. It is a very important question. I ask every single person this question when you go to brunch with your friends because that's how i say friends <laughs> what drink do you get what drink do i get well ha. i mean i definitely get coffee because there's no uh no self-respecting arab um or new orleanian would get brunch without coffee with chicory in it <laughs> correct um, but I would have to say a Bloody Mary. That's how you get started down here. A Bloody Mary? I feel like I need to step my game up. I got started with a coffee. I had brunch last week because we didn't do the show. So I had brunch last week and I had a coffee and I had a mimosa, but a peach mimosa. And it was really good, too. So why well, Bloody Mary? The, I have no offense. The peach mimosa is a little weak. I mean, yes. in New Orleans, we have, you know, we have our great zing zing. This is a Bloody Mary mix. Uh, some spicy beans. Uh, string beans that we put in it, uh, pickled Ooh. okra, uh, a lime wedge, um, a lemon, an olive. Like, you, you basically have a whole meal yeah. in, in your Bloody Mary, so wow. you have to start out with that. It's also the hangover cure if you have that issue going on. Hangovers are for women and Europeans, all right? Sadly, <laughs> not nice at all. She got my joke. So, right? so you can get hungover from looking at a Bud Light, yeah, all right? I'm not that. even, we're not talking about you. But guys, we're not here to talk about alcohol, even though I love that subject as well. Hennessy, pay me. We are here to talk about New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. So we all know what happened in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit. And since then, let's talk about some of the things that have been going on in New Orleans, right? So the median income gap between black and white households in New Orleans has widened by 18% since 2005. And according to the Urban League, the, the increase of household income for white families has gone from 49 to 60, whereas African-Americans has, has rose from 23 to 25, which is a, a pretty scary slash confusing number because I don't understand how there's such like happy and prosperous economic growth for Caucasian-Americans in New Orleans, but the same hasn't happened for African-Americans. So I guess, um, wow, <laughs> I had a brain for you. So, so I guess, Tabitha, what I'd like to start the conversation with is, um, first of all, like, 
what like what state was were, were communities of color in right before the hurricane and like what happened when the hurricane actually hit um so before the hurricane i don't want to paint the picture that you know new orleans was the, the greatest place on earth as far as economics go and racial disparities um it certainly wasn't that way um black men and, and women face incarceration at much higher rates um, than our white counterparts here in New Orleans. Um, the, thing that, the thing that's really clutch, I think, to remember is that before years and for years and years before Katrina hit, the city had been trying to destroy black communities. There was an assault on the black body happening, public housing, education, um, middle-class jobs and health care were all things that pre-Katrina, they just couldn't figure out how to destroy. Like, um, in the, as far as education went, you know, we had to pay all these black, middle-class, predominantly uh, women who taught in these predominantly black traditional schools for years and years. They came from the community. We had community schools. Now, were these the greatest schools in the country? No. Um, If you want to base it on test scores, they were failing, but I think most people know that there's more to teaching someone than um, than teaching them how to test. Um, healthcare charity hospital wasn't in the greatest state, but it served the black population here in New Orleans. If you ask half the city where you were born, they will say charity hospital because back in the day, um, people drove from as far away as Baton Rouge to be born at charity hospital. Um, you know, housing. The St. Thomas um, and the Iberville are some of the oldest housing developments we have here in New Orleans. And back in, I want to say around 1988, mm-hmm. um, the St. Thomas housing development faced something called the Roshan plant. The mayor at the time, Sidney Bartholomew, came up with this plan um, so that the housing authority could be privately run. So Hano and HUD, so the housing authority of New Orleans, and HUD got together and they said, how can we get private interest into the housing community? Um, so they wanted to change that into mixed income housing. But the St. Thomas Residence Council, so that's grassroots activism led by people like Barbara Johnson and McKnight, um, fought to fought that Roshan plan to have this housing be turned over into mixed, mixed income housing that would be predominantly or increasingly white. Um, so that was an attack on housing that we faced pre-Katrina that, you know, later on we can talk about what's happened post-Katrina, um, as well as environmental racism. As early as 1956, the Army Corps of Engineers had been trying to widen the Industrial Canal. And the Industrial Canal in New Orleans is where um, maritime traffic between the Mississippi River and gets to the Gulf of Mexico. So it's, you know, major uh, for ports. They wanted to make upgrades before Katrina. Um, so this contributed to the loss of natural barriers like marshlands, weakening yeah. of our flood walls, increased vulnerability. These are all things that were happening mm. pre-Katrina. So so they were like they were actively doing things that were setting you guys that were setting up communities of color up for failure when Katrina actually hit before that happened, correct? Right. So now when the hurricane actually hit, what are some of the things that we saw on the ground? And, I, you know, obviously we talked about these things in millions of articles and on TV, but as someone who lives in, this, in these communities and talk to people, what are some things that you guys witnessed and experienced? 
Um, on the ground, I think you have to talk about people who were here versus people who weren't allowed to come back. The city didn't really make any preparations to help people come back before. Um, two of every three people in the city are black. Now it's three of every five people in the city are black. About 100,000 people haven't been able to return to the city because the city didn't make preparations. It was a one-way ticket out. So a lot of the changes that we saw, a lot of things that we saw on the ground, um, were only for the people who were here at the time. A lot of people got that one-way ticket to Houston, to Atlanta, to Portland, and never made it back to the city. So their experiences are very different. Um, people here in the city, you know, there were there was a clip on Democracy Now! Um, a few years back. Uh, Malik Rahim, who's an organizer here in the city, uh, has been for a long time, unveiled a body um, weeks after the storm had passed in between the ICE facility and, and, the, and the police department. I'm just trying to figure out how there's a body in the middle of the street um, and, and no one could seem um, to just move it out of the way. You know, kids passed there on their way to school. Um, people drove past it every day. Yet, you know, that wasn't a priority. Um, on the ground, you saw, you, you still see to this day, blighted houses, properties, um, that just haven't come back. There are entire parts of the city that still look like August 29th <laughs> or August 30th of 2005. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that should be, especially when, you know, the French Quarter was back online a week later. Atrocious. So, that, yeah. No, I mean, we're, we're listening to what you're saying, Tabitha, and, I mean, it's just bringing back so many visuals, and it's horrible. And I know our special studio guest, Tiffany, wanted to jump in with a question or comment. So on uh, Twitter, there was this conversation that started, you know, it was 10 years since uh, Hurricane Katrina, and a lot of people were saying how they, if they had, like, a family, they would have to move their family, like you said, to Houston, and they felt like their kids had to, like, you know, almost, like, whitewash their accent because they were, you know, being treated, like, actively when they were in school, they were being called, like, refugees. It's like, how can you be a refugee when you're a citizen of, you know, the United States and you're just going to another um, state because of this storm? So can you just talk about, like, the role that FEMA played or didn't play? Because I know people were saying as of 2014 that FEMA was, like, garnishing their income tax or, like, refunds because they said that they were overpaying them. So can you just talk about, like, what the role that FEMA paid and how people are still, you know, to this day are trying to recover, still, like, reliving Hurricane Katrina? Yeah, so I think it's important to think about FEMA in a very different context than people tend to think about it. Um, A lot of people don't realize that FEMA now comes under the Department of Homeland Security. Um, So their priority is not necessarily to get people back online after the storm. It's to protect assets. Um, So we we still see um, FEMA kind of not not really... um, facilitating the role that they were originally meant to facilitate. So people just can't make it back because, like you said, they are garnishing wages. Um, they didn't give people the resources that they needed when they needed them. They still haven't given them uh, what they needed. Um, Wait, Tabitha, so FEMA, So first of all, we all can agree that FEMA failed miserably when it yes. came to Hurricane Katrina. So can we agree to that? Yes. <laughs> and then, so now they failed. So... This is like this is like when you go to get a haircut and the barber zeeks your hairline, which what I mean by that is he pushes it back or he makes it really messed up and then he asks for a tip. <laughs> so they 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 pretty much and like their mistakes are not like, oh, well, I didn't have hot water for a day. It was like, oh, my uncle's dead. 
And, well, you know, we made sure that your uncle got buried three months later, so now we're going to take from your checks and your taxes. Is that pretty much what we're talking about? We are talking about that, and we're talking about them saying, oh, we gave you this trailer for you to live in, for you and your family to live in post-Katrina. We didn't give you the the butane tanks to keep it going. Um, But since we gave you the trailer that had, like, Chinese drywall and other things that may have caused you health problems and other, you know, bodily harm, um, you owe us for what we did. It's not like when uh, the U.S. government goes into other places and they say, in other countries, we'll give you this for free. Like here in the U.S., it's like, oh no, like these are your tax dollars, and they're meant to be spent on other things. So that wasn't of concern to them. Um, and think about like the the FEMA trailers. A lot of times, the way they were set up, those ended up blowing up. I know a woman Whoa. who um, who has her most of her skin has been burned off. She's still alive, and she owns a, a successful business here in New Orleans, but. To go from from not having any any bodily harm from Katrina and then getting this FEMA trailer um, and then now you ninety percent of your body um, has been damaged due to burns caused by issues with the trailers. That's something that they should at least be willing to pay for, and they haven't been as far. Oh my as I god! Know. Wow, Tab- Tabitha, that is a horrible way to to go on a break, but we do have to go on one. When we come back, we'll be talking more about Hurricane Katrina, how it has affected communities of color, and what is happening now. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, and this is Fetty Wap, because we need some happiness right now. Marilyn Pleasa of May. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. My name is Stanley Fritz, but you can call me Trap Lord T- with the T at the end, I am here with Selena Hill and Tiffany Tiff Bizzle for Shizzle My Rizzle. We have an amazing guest on the line by the name of T- Tabitha Mustafa. I was going to call her Tabitha I don't know how I was going to combine her oh, first and last God. name, but I almost did it. Horrible. Tabitha has taught me that Bloody Marys for brunch are a smarter decision than peach mimosas, and I am inclined to agree with her because I want to be manlier. She also told me that FEMA has actually been charging and garnishing people's checks and their tax money to pay them back for those crappy trailers they gave them which made them sick and told me a whole bunch of other amazing things about New Orleans and what has happened since Hurricane Katrina. And in case you just tuned in, that is a conversation that we are having. Um, And we had Tabitha on the line waiting to speak again. But before we get to her and Selena, who has a comment, one of my favorite people in all of the radio world is listening and she would like to make a comment. So, Miss Deborah, let your voice be heard. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi. Good morning. I was I I I I saw a lot of what happened on television. Um, I saw uh, a young girl or young lady have a diabetic seizure in front of the mall. I mean, or the whatever that I call it a big coffin because that's what they did. They marched in and they had babies outside who had nothing to drink. And then when they did give them something, I don't know what it was, but they were like uh, bottles. That looked like you would feed cows, and some of the little babies could barely get their mouths around, you know, things like that. Now, these, this President Bush, he's flying around, and then when he comes back, he shakes hands and he says to this guy, "Good job, Brownie." I don't know why people are forgetting that, and it needs to be said that there were people who were dead on the highway. Um, Gil Noble from Like It Is had a show, and you could barely, I mean, there were spots and dots all over because they couldn't show the bodies, but the bodies were all over, and one man was, did not want to leave his mother because she was in a wheelchair and she was dead, and he was told by an official, 
that if he didn't want to be like his mother, he better hurry up and leave. So he had to leave his mother out in the hot sun. Wow. You know, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, story after story after story. I would not be surprised if you found hundreds of bodies left over. Because wow. I, I, I just, you know, nobody ever says anything. You know, I remember when they did the first party and everybody is drinking. And I think we really stop, need to stop partying and having parties. And, 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 you know, these bees. I, I don't know. It's just something about Louisiana that leaves me cold. I get I you. Just, you know? Yeah. But I'm sorry. I know that you all have a lot to talk about, so I will let you go. And uh, I have to go, okay? Uh, nothing to be sorry a- about, Ms. Deborah. Thank you so much for, for calling in this morning. Um, mm-hmm. I, if it's all right, then I want to give Tapitha some time to respond since so yes. she's on the ground in New Orleans and is also a social justice activist. Not about the parties. You can text me about the parties. <laughs> but- <laughs> go ahead, Tabitha. Yeah, I mean, what Ms. Deborah was saying, <clears throat> excuse me, is true. Um, there were a lot of bodies floating around, but they weren't, they weren't just on highways. They were literally floating in the water. Um, we bury people above ground a lot of the time. So um, as the water rose, you know, a lot of those coffins also rose. Um, so oh you had, God. you know, whole cemeteries kind of just floating away, the ones that weren't, you know, secure. Um, the bodies are bodies are a very interesting topic because you, you look at the bodies um, that floated in the water, just kind of a blatant disregard for those lives. But at the same time, you look at the black bodies that are still here, that are in, you know, our prisons, that are um, being affected by the policies that are in place. And that is almost as horrific as what happened during Katrina. Uh, Tabitha, I just want to be clear. Before I actually get to my question, let me just throw the phone number out there to our listeners. If you want to chime into the conversation, the number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. So with all the atrocities that we've been reflecting upon that happened uh, in the the direct aftermath of uh, Hurricane Katrina, and now even 10 years later, we still see a lot of neglect and resources not being allocated to communities of color or or, or uh, communities of low income and low means. Um, I just want to be clear, Tabitha, are we saying this is racism? It all comes back to the fact that these people, mo- the people who aren't being treated are poor and black. Is is that what you think it boils down to? Pretty much. I mean, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an attack on black lives, for sure. Um but it's, it's actually extended beyond black lives into, you know, we have a large Palestinian community here. We have um, a fairly large Vietnamese community here. They've also faced attacks as well as the Homa Nation and Native Americans here in Louisiana. Uh, so let, let's talk about the present now. So it's been 10 years. And like I mentioned before we got you on the phone, everyone's celebrating about how far New Orleans has come. And there's so, so many more restaurants and people are making money and BP poisoning the water and giving only $45 million for this. What do these communities look, communities look like in 2015? These black communities, these Palestinian communities, um, these LGBT communities, how, have they, how much have they recovered from Hurricane Katrina, if any, if I don't have to say? To be clear, we haven't recovered. That's, that's you know, point blank, we haven't recovered. The mayor, um, you know, the presidents and former presidents who are coming in, they're going to say, New Orleans is resilient. We bounced back. 
but we're not, in fact, you know, maybe we are resilient in a way. We continue to take punch after punch that continues to try and destroy our communities, but we don't want to be resilient. That is the last thing we want to be. Resistant is what we are. Yeah. Constantly fighting back against um, the oppression that we're facing, and especially the LGBT community. Um, trans women of color are arrested at alarming rates in New Orleans. I mean, it's across the country, but here um, there's something to be said for the work that groups like Breakout have done yeah. um, for those communities because it's just been terrible. Um, and the things that you see now, you know, we have like an all, all charter school system. Mm-hmm. I think it might be the only place in the country that has that because we fired almost all of our public school staff, you know, following the storm. Now you see the traditional public schools that were named after um admirable black people like Benjamin Banneker that are getting changed to charter school names like Kit. Um, so we're, you know, taking away place-based identities from people. You can't live in the same housing development that your family lived in for generations. You can't afford to buy a house in the neighborhood that you grew up in. Um, it's hard to get a job. So let's talk about that, actually, about, too, the employment and the housing. So we know a lot of homes were destroyed after the hurricane, and it's been 10 years. How many people in, in these communities do you think were able to come back or rebuild afterwards in these last 10 years? I would say more people were able, able to come back than to rebuild, um, but not nearly. Like I said, 100,000 people still haven't come home yet. Yeah. And I don't know that they will be able to, but what I was talking about before with the St. Thomas uh, Residence Council where they had that plan to try and make it mixed income housing in the late 80s and early 90s, now um, that St. Thomas has been changed to River Garden, (laughs) and you see lots of, um, a lot more white people moving into the neighborhood, it's mixed income now. The Iberville, which is adjacent to the French Quarter, um, the young black people there were seen as an impediment to tourism and to the gentrification of the neighborhood they wanted to have. And the value of uh, property that close to the French Quarter is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Now that's being turned into mixed income property. It's you know constantly pushing black people out of the areas they've traditionally been in. The Lower Ninth Ward, I think, is a perfect example. That was one of the areas that had a green dot put on it mm-hmm. and said, this community isn't going to come back. They did come back, but you can see that it's being infiltrated by, you know, no offense to New Yorkers, but there, there are a lot more New Yorkers in the lower, in the Ninth Ward, the lower Ninth Ward that had never been there. The bywater is increasing. It seems like a block every day. Wow. Um, you know, that's, that may be a bit of an exaggeration, but just to see, if you take a, a, a photo and look at St. Claude Avenue pre-Katrina and look at it now, it's a different world. Wow. Tiffany, I have a question about some of the the money that has been donated and is being donated. I know, oh, Tabitha, I'm sorry. Um, I know that Walmart just um, put out a press release saying that they will be donating $25 million to different um, different activists and different activism and um, organizations on the ground there. And there's been a number of celebrities that have went down there and, and allocated funds. Where exactly is the funding going? Because if there's been, you know, so much, so much outpouring into New Orleans. Um, are you saying it's just not being dis- um, distributed evenly, or you don't, or is that just like up in the air where we don't know exactly where the funds end up? If that money's coming in, let me see it. 
I, please give those people my phone number, tell them to call me, tell them to email me, because I, I just haven't seen that money, and I think that a lot of frontline communities and organizers haven't seen that money rolled in so that we can, you know, distribute that to our communities as we see fit and not how, you know, the city of New Orleans that has helped to destroy so many communities sees fit. Yeah. Um, just haven't seen it. I don't know where it is. Wow. Hi, Tabitha. Um, so can you just talk about what uh, past or even present elected officials have been doing for, you know, um, New Orleans and just the people that were really impacted by Hurricane Katrina? And can you also maybe talk about how they actively played a role? Because I know some people felt like Katrina wasn't the issue. It was the response that made it it made it what it was. So can you just talk about that? Sure. Um, I think we can start with the governor at the time, uh, Kathleen Blanco. She was the one who had the recovery school district take over um, most of New Orleans public schools. So I would fault her for the, you know, charterization of the public school system here. I would probably fault George Bush the most. Um, he, if you listen to video clips of him talking about the hurricane response, he kind of took the Milton Friedman approach and said, this is an opportunity. We're going to increase the refineries, which are destroying our wetlands, which are, you know, making the effects of hurricanes worse on the city and uh, on the, the area as a whole. Um, you know, he advocated for charter schools. He's advocated for most of the privatization that has happened in New Orleans since Katrina. Um, I wouldn't take uh, Mayor Nagan out of it, too. He, you know, he was a mayor when they came up with the Green Dot plan to just turn entire communities like New Orleans East, Broadmoor, the Lower Ninth Ward, into green spaces. These are places where people live. Like, there's no way that you should say, these people don't deserve a right to return to their homes. And that's something they were preaching, a right to return that a lot of people haven't been afforded. Um, I mean, he's just been convicted. So um, I don't see Mayor, uh, former Mayor Nagan doing too much from his prison cell. Um, Mitch Landrieu, our current mayor, uh, he's the one who has been preaching this resilience story and talking about how we've come back. But I don't think that it's been along the lines of who's come back. I think it's been along the lines of who has come, because a lot of people who have come post-Katrina are not coming back. They yeah. weren't here to begin with. Um, they're taking what wasn't theirs, uh, people's homes, people's uh, livelihoods, the places where people grew up, and they're trying to change um, the culture of New Orleans, uh, you know, passing ordinances against uh, playing music in Treme, where most of our famous uh, jazz and brass players come from. Um, these are all, I would say, the fault of local government um, and George Bush. Wow. Tabitha, thank you so much for that. So we do have to wrap this segment up. Could you please just let our listeners know how they can learn more about you and also what they can do to help out the New Orleans who actually are from New Orleans and need the help? Sure. Um, I would suggest um, contacting Gulf South Rising. They have uh, a network that can put you in touch with a lot of frontline organizations. Um, if you're looking to get in touch with Peace by Peace, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Instagram. You can also email me personally. Um, uh, that's tmustafa at assc.org. If you're looking to get in touch with us, we would love to have any support that we can get for our youth. You can uh, 
stop by if you're in New Orleans, stop by our film premiere that's going to be um, on the anniversary of Katrina next Saturday. Ah. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, one way to help out. We love any donations uh, for that film festival kind of talk, or that film premiere talking about um, disaster capitalism, the trauma industrial complex. Um, just reach out. You know, people are, are willing to talk if, uh, if you're just willing to listen. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Please Thank send you. us that information so we can tweet it out to our followers. We have lots of rich followers. I'm kidding. We huh. don't. And if we do, they don't talk to me because they like Selena instead. Psych. But, um, Tabitha, <laughs> Tabitha thank you so much, Selena. Were you going to say something? I just want to say thank you to Tabitha because I had a conversation with her yesterday and she was great today. All awesome. Right. So, Tabitha, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Have a Bloody Mary for me, okay? All right. Thanks to you guys so much. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Guys. I'm not going to sit here and preach to you for too long or for too much because I'm not sure how much preaching is going to actually change anything. But what I will tell you is that before there was a Mike Brown, before there was a Trayvon Martin, before there was a, a, a young, unarmed woman or, or man on the street who had been killed by a cop, there was government systems in place that had that had systematically worked their very hardest to hurt and to undermine communities of color. They've worked hard to undermine black women of color, Latin women of color, LGBT communities, and they've continued to do this kind of work. And what usually happens is no one pays attention to it, and then a disaster happened. That's what happened in New Orleans. You had all these systems in place looking to undermine low-income communities of color and also poor communities because sometimes it's not just you know, African-Americans, Latin-Americans, or LGBT people. It's also poor white people, too. But these systems are in place to undermine them and keep them the same way. And then Hurricane Katrina happens. And when it happens, all of a sudden, there's this huge flow of disaster. And everyone goes, oh, my God, there was a problem. We had to address the problem. And then people try to address the problem. And the same people who were working to undermine the system come in and put even stronger barriers on these people. That is what we're seeing in New Orleans. That is why, after the hur since the hurricane, hurricane, I mean, hurricane, New Orleans has become an all-charter school, public school system. Charters. Pretty much privatized schools completely. That is why... The median income for a family in New Orleans of African American descent of Af of African Americans is twenty five thousand dollars a year, as compared to white Americans, which is around sixty thousand a year. That is why over a hundred thousand people have been displaced, but they have not returned because there was a problem with the system. So the next time you're out there and you're saying that Black Lives Matter. Don't forget that there's more than one way to fight for these issues and to fight for the lives of black people because reforming the police is just one thing. We have to reform the entire system because if we don't, we'll have police who might not shoot black people, but the black people won't have anywhere to stay because they'll be displaced through gentrification, through charter schools, through lack of jobs, or just flat-out racism. But guys, we do have to go on a break. When we come back, we'll be on to the news roundup where I'm going to talk about my boy Sean King and my homeboy DeRay and defend the both of them. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Marilyn, make me a sandwich, girl.
This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Okay, we're in Harlem. Stop it. All right, you know what, Selena? I'm tired of you bullying me. This is cyberbullying. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR. Tiff Bizzle for shizzle. Got the spikes on your dizzle shoulder. I like that crap. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is the news roundup. We're talking about news. Be excited. Be mad. Curse your friend. Don't curse at us because we can't pay that FCC fine. Selena's here with a hair and a Beyonce bun. I love it. Can you you make your hand to a full bun? I don't think you can. Your bun game ain't strong enough, what? shorty. Hard body like in the streets. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the haters. I'm going in right now. Oh, by the way, my name is Stanley Fritz. Selena Hills here, and so is Tiff Bizzly Biz Bizzle for Shizzle. On the Twitter, she is Tiff Bizzle. On the Twitter, I am Stan Fritz. On the Twitter, she is not married, Selena Hill. Go ahead with the news. Can we turn the ratchet down just a little bit? Never that. Just like two, two knots down, please? Brr. Thank you. Let's let's just turn it down a little bit. Hater. Thank you, Stanley, for that grand introduction to the news roundup. All right, guys. So let's just start off with one of the most pressing stories that really touched me and moved me. And that was... (laughs) Nicki Minaj? Yes. Can I say why, though? What is so funny? You don't see how inappropriate that sounds. all the way. (laughs) It touched you. Okay, so... I know. They touched Nicki, too. So, okay. So everyone knows that... Well, maybe you don't know, but Nicki Minaj now has a wax figure in the um in the Tucson Museum. Lady Toussaint. Lady Toussaint Museum. Oh, Madame Toussaint, whatever. Madame Toussaint Museum. You don't know. And um in the in the so her wax figure, she's actually posted like positioned on all fours, wearing um the outfit that she had on in her I in her famous Anaconda video, really? so she's not really wearing too much. So Wait, you why they use that as a wax figure? Because they said that her that video is iconic and it changed the culture. It is. And Nicki Minaj said it changed the culture of hip hop. How? I don't know, but what? that's what she. That's what they all have been saying. It's iconic. So. In the, so that's how she's posed. Like basically, you can see her her enlarged, her larger than life booty, and her breasts are out, and she's just on all fours, just like ready to just like bend it over. Oh, and really? <laughs> so basically, Azealia Banks, who is another uh, black female rapper, she is. I've, I see. Azealia. I see her tweets. I don't hear any music. Well, I, uh, stop it. She's also no. from Harlem, too, Azalea. So oh, I'm Azalea sorry, Azalea. Is she so, might see me on a block. Right? She might. She just might, Stanley. Mm-hmm. So Azalea came out, and she put out some statements on Twitter saying, why would they use, why would they create this wax figure of Nikki on all fours? Why didn't they just use her standing up with a microphone in her hand um, to celebrate her accomplishments? Why are they reducing her to just this objectable, sex, uh, sexualized figure on her on all fours? And basically, this plays into the history of how black women's bodies have always been demeaned and dehumanized in this country and it's always like we're just seen as objectable and something to uh, fondle or or make fun of or grope or just do whatever you want because uh, we don't have our own agency over our own bodies and the reason why this sort of you know moved me in a way is because when I first came out a lot of people were saying well you know what Nicki Minaj signed off on it and she she likes it and this is how she wants to be portrayed what's wrong with it and at first you know I was listening to that type of argument but then Janet Mock said something that really hit home and it made me realize Janet Mock said no that's all she said no she had this she had this great prolific statement where she was talking about how um well she was talking about Nicki Minaj and it made me realize that when we look at video 
video vixens and hip hop, and we look at how women are always has have been humanized for years in mm-hmm. hip hop. Do we sit here and say, well, well, the woman shouldn't have signed up. She shouldn't be doing this. Or do we say, well, let's look at the power dynamic. Let's look at who makes these decisions. Let's look at who's paying these people to do this and how they and how they formulated the structure to be reflective of the dehumanization of women of color. And I think that if we're going to attack someone, it should be the people in charge who made that decision. Because a lot of times a victim or a woman or anybody, they might not, they might, they might agree. But I think well, that the culture itself and who has that power to make these decisions should be held accountable. Well, I mean, did Nikki sign off on this? Yes, she did. Okay, then I don't care. Well, Tiffany... What's your take on that? So, I saw the uh, the figure, and then you saw the picture of, like, you know, the young man, oh, like, yeah. behind her <laughs> in a questionable pose. And it could be fine that, you know, she's, you know, okay with it. But I also think, like, sometimes, like, women are just conditioned, especially, like, women in hip-hop. And it's like, you're trying to claim your agency, but it's like, are you really claiming your agency where that's the only kind of, you know, model that they give you? that you can represent yourself as. I do think that Nicki Minaj, you know, if she wants to be portrayed like that, but I feel like there were so many other ways that she could have been put on a wax figure, you know, and there's so many other women that are in that museum that are not, you know, may have similar, you know, um, careers as her that's not portrayed like that. And, like, granted, Anaconda was, like, a big thing, but there was another, I think, another um, pose that she did when she had, like, the Jordans on and her legs were over. I was like, you could even did, like, that pose. Like, the fact that she was on all fours, like, it's just so, like, degrading, it looks like. And it's, like, the, the fact that people are behind her and now that they had to get extra security to make sure people are not taking crazy photos. She yep. okayed it. But well, she... men are literally putting their crotches in that her well, face that is, butt. <laughs> that is what the men are doing. And women too. That's Everybody horrible. is putting their, their crotches and stuff in the wax museum. You know, people have no respect. Yeah, so that's, I just want to interject that. Stanley, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why would somebody do that? Like, oh, let me let me sexually assault a wax figure. Basically. However, yeah. she gave the okay for this. I'm not. I don't think it's appropriate that people are doing this. But I'm not really here to have to go have, go on a big campaign for why they're objectifying Miss Nicki Minaj when she was like, oh, go ahead, two thumbs up on this figure. What do you like? What? Do you, because She's not complaining. She has selective outrage anyway, so I'm not really one to feel too bad for her. Selective like, outrage. Like Tiffany said, away, away from the mic. She's like, yeah, she does. <laughs> but let's 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 shift let's shift away from this because you know what? By the way, I I'm just thinking about people like getting in weird positions with the wax. Why would you, you do that? You didn't see the pictures? <laughs> no. They're all over yeah. the internet stands. That. <laughs> That's what every and like, Azalea Banks predicted it. That's what they well, predicted. Anyway, like, so a, a crackhead half awake on crack could have predicted that was going to happen. Why would Why would anyone not like look at the? I know the image is like her and you know Nicki Minaj is a very attractive woman. She's on all fours in like a bikini, staring seductively. You don't think there's a pervert on Forty Second Street who was going to be like, hmm, this is my moment? Really? Like, I mean, come on, exactly. guys. We we hope the best for the world, but. People are still horrible. By the way, guys, if you're not horrible, you can call us. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. Shout out to BeHerd Chris, who said that he's getting his progressive fix from the show. And he called me the trap god slash lord. And I appreciate that. The lord. I appreciate that. So I have some stories as well. My homie, and maybe I'm biased because I've met him and I've talked to him and I've met Netta as well and I've talked to them and we follow each other on Twitter. Well, he, DeRay follows me on Twitter. Netta doesn't follow me, but she'd be tweeting back at me. And maybe that's why I'm biased. But 
as we know, Black Lives Matter protesters have been making a big a lot of noise at these presidential um campaign at these presidential candidates. So after these two young women um pretty much like interrupted Bernie Sanders' speech in I think Seattle it was, we found out that the Hillary campaign had been reaching out to people affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement and had also reached out to a couple of other social justice advocates, two of them being DeRay and Netta. Dream Hampton came out on Twitter and started sending for DeRay and Netta saying, oh, they're not Black Lives Matter. They don't do anything. Why are you talking to them? So then, of course, obviously, DeRay and Netta were responding like, hey, just because we're not Black Lives Matter in the organization doesn't mean that we don't have agency to say anything and that we're not advocating for black lives. And then Dream Hampton, which really disappointed me, proceeded to just straight up disrespect DeRay and especially Netta on Twitter. Netta was saying how disappointed she was because that was someone she looked up to. Dream Hampton responded with, I only met you one time and I was to give you $700 to go to D.C. and interrupt Al Sharpton. On Twitter, and as we all know in any movement, and during the Civil Rights Movement too, there were people who beat and who had issues with each other, and there were all sorts of problems, but to see that kind of what I call pettiness, petty wop lifestyle from from someone who I thought was like, you know, very intelligent and cared about the issue really bothered me. And it really frustrates me because so many people in the Black Lives Matter movement have said that they don't accept the political establishment. So why are you getting mad that people are reaching out to those who do? I mean, great point, Stanley. Tiffany, did you want to chime in? Yeah. Because I was, like, following that whole, like, interaction, and it was, like, really unfortunate to see. And it got to the point where I think Dream was, like, threatening another um, activist, saying that she was going to, like, fight her in the street. And I just feel like all of our faves are just so problematic, and they need to get off social media. <laughs> nah, but, don't stay on that. I need that <laughs> Stay on that. I need, need that, that when I'm at work. <laughs> but it's just, like, everyone's, like, fighting, you know, to have that spotlight. And it's like, there's so much work to be done because every, what, 20 hours probably now, they're killing us. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter who's, you know, you know, in that position, long as we're moving towards, like, black liberation. And yeah. to go back and forth, and then there was, like, even more saying that they even did reach out to, like, Black Lives Matters activists and it started sparking this conversation, moving past those three those three words and, you know, start talking about the black liberation movement. Mm-hmm. Because at the truth of the matter is D-Ray word. and Netta, they have the shot. And I appreciate that because if it wasn't for them on August 9th, Telling the truth, when Mike Brown was laying in that fl- on the ground for four and a half hours, we don't know nothing. Thank like, you. So let's not act like Black Lives Matter, whoever. Like it was because of Netta and D. Ray and people from Ferguson yep. that said, "Nah, this is not right." And let's like, get it, no. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm no, really passionate fine. about. It. Let's get this straight. D. Ray doesn't even live in Ferguson. He dropped everything yes. where he was in Minnesota and came down to St. Louis. When I, I remember when um Mike Brown was killed because I was actually drunk. At Riverside Park at Rough Buff oh, okay, last year. And I got the tweet and I got mad. I'm like, I can't even deal with this. Pass me a nutcracker. That was pretty much like, but then the next day and that entire time forward, the only reason I knew what was going on was because I started following DeRay. I started following Netta. And like, that's how I was up to date on everything. When I went to D.C. for, um, for not Roots, for, for a conference and I met with them, they had just come from St. Louis. They had just been shot at by cops with rubber bullets. They were going through all these things. And that's not the undercut dream Hampton to anyone, but these people have been in the trenches. And you know what? As we'll talk about in the next segment, they have a plan too. They, they really do. Yep. Campaign Zero. And we'll get to that in the next segment. But I know Tiffany had another story that she wanted to share for the news uh, roundup. Yes. So um, New York Times put out a really uh, interesting article talking about the racial... Um, Sorry, let me pull it up really quickly. Sound it out. Yeah, Shabash is getting that. Let me just tell you guys, by the way, you should follow me on Twitter because I need more Twitter followers. 
Anyway. <laughs> so as racial wealth gap persists despite degrees, study says. So I feel like everyone always talks about how people of color, black and Hispanic, you know, um, higher education is a great equalizer. So a study that was put out by the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis was like, ah, slow up. <laughs> We've seen from 2007 to 2012, you know, we had like the great economic crisis that a lot of people of color that had degrees mm-hmm. really suffered during that time. Yep. So they may have sustained, you know, short term wealth. But in, when it comes to long-term wealth, you know, our white and Asian counterparts, they are just, you know, really blowing us out the water. And that was like, they raised up the question how, you know, discrimination plays a role in terms of like, you know, um, employment access. You know, our employment rate is twice as um, high as any other uh, group. And also a lot of people of color don't have traditional, you know, sources of wealth. So when you're going to school, even as a, you know, maybe a public institution or a private, you're taking out student loans. Mm. So for a loan that may be for, you know, our white or Asian accounts, but maybe like nothing to them. But for us, when we graduate and we got 30000 on our back and we don't have any sort of wealth like that can really like bog us down and we've seen that in the long term that higher education is not the end all be all because we are combating discrimination um and things of that nature so it was really an interesting article and i definitely encourage um everyone to really read it because you are making more if you don't have um if you if you do have a, a college degree but during tough economic times, because you have more money, obviously more money, more problems, more bills, yeah. you're spending more. So if you look at someone who has a high school diploma, you know, they have less money. So they may not have a, a mortgage or a car and this, that, and a third, but you do. And if you lose your job or you're not getting paid the same as your white or Asian counterpart, it's going to be tough for you when we have another economic crisis, God forbid. Yeah, I graduated from college, make it twenty eight thousand a year, and mm-hmm. with student debt of fifty plus thousand a year, mm-hmm. that kind of math that don't add up. Yep. What well, sadly me calling me talking about? You got to pay us eight hundred a month. I'm like, I can't do that. I got to pay rent. <laughs> it goes, you can skip rent a couple of months. Wow. And I said, Sally, stop playing with me, shorty. This ain't how it works. <laughs> However, I don't want to harbor that too much. I know we're running out of time, so I want to get to Sean um, King. Yes. So, have you guys heard what was going on with Sean King? Yes. Oh, yes. All right, so for those of you who don't know who Sean King is, Sean King is one of those people who, like the Rayonetta, were there in the beginning during Ferguson covering the story, was one of the only journalists giving the real deal about it and not just getting press releases from the, from the St. Louis Police Department and publishing them online. Recently, Breitbart, which is a conservative blog that also said Barack Obama went to a terrorist high school, released a story saying that Sean King is not actually black. And as we all know, if you know Sean King, he's biracial. They said on his birth certificate, there was a white man who signed off on the birth certificate. Sean King tried very hard not to like give the reasons why, because as we all learned, his mother cheated on his on her husband with the black guy, and that's who his actual father is. And he didn't really, didn't really want to talk about this. But for the entire week, there were all sorts of articles on CNN, yep. Mike, Vox, mm-hmm. Huffington Post, all these places questioning his blackness. Yeah. And then people attacking him on Twitter, sending death threats and everything else. Yeah, I, I saw some of those attacks. Like, people were like, death to you, whitey. And just saying, like, really mean, stupid things like that. But, I mean, a lot of people did jump to conclusions and... I can understand why they did that because when he first gave a response on Twitter, he sort of talked around it and he was like, you know what, you shouldn't believe the blogger that even put this out because she doesn't really, she's not really credible. And, you know, which is a true statement. And, you know, but I did get attacked for being uh, biracial in, in school and here are the pictures. But he didn't, he never came out and said, like, 
you know what? You guys are crushing in my blackness. Here's proof. And I'm not saying he should have, but then he was like, I'm never going to discuss this again. And then allegedly one of his family members told CNN that it's true. Both his mother and his father are white. So it wasn't until, I, I guess, you know, um, it wasn't until he finally said, no, my mother had an affair with a black man that it finally put the rumors to rest. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what was your initial reaction, Tiffany? My initial reaction was that I just thought, it was comical that these, you know, conservative, borderline propaganda sites were, you know, to have the authority over blackness. The same people that were probably saying that Rachel Dolezal is okay for her to be black. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure they were leading that charge as well. And I do think, you know, it gets to the point where when you're on social media that some things are should be private. You know, you got to keep close to the chest. And I think when you see the attacks on Sean King from all of his work, since, you know, I really came to know him from Mike Brown. And then, you know, he did fundraiser, a fundraiser with um, Feminista Jones for the Tamir Rice family. And I think this is what happens when you see that this Black Lives Matter movement or Black Liberation Movement, however you want to refer to it, is not going anywhere. And they start to attack the leaders. And I just thought it was like, you know, it was a joke. It's unfortunate that he had to come out and share this story. But it goes to show that people are scared because we're not going away. We're going to keep talking about this. Because at the end of the day, we are every day we're dying. And I think that was the, the ultimate goal, to try to discredit him. Right. But it's discredit him in a way that I feel like it didn't even make sense because he was doing good work and I feel like why would he lie about his blackness and like he said his mom why would Rich Dolezal yeah, lie yeah that's what I'm saying Rachel, yeah. Rachel did and she was doing great work too yeah so, but Rachel Dolezal was also a little bit different because she was also like you know reporting for sake yeah but you, you know what though it really did make me look at the Rachel Dolezal situation a bit differently because when I first heard about it I was just laughing and joking about it and then I learned more about it and I was really upset and then now, like, this happened to Sean King with someone who I think is credible who, and, like, who I respect. So I gave him the benefit of the, of the doubt. And if he had turned out to be white, I'd have been disappointed. But I don't know if I had been upset. I'd have been as upset as Ooh, I was with Richard Dolezal. And the, yeah, exactly. That's the thing that I had to question. Like, why is that? And so Richard Dolezal, what upset me the most about her was that, like, she was actively being problematic. So she was filing false hate crimes. She tried to sue Howard University for racism and then claimed she was black. And then, like, she just doing, then, like, trying to question other people's blackness when she wasn't even black herself, which is extremely problematic. So even though she was doing good work, she had a, a, a lot of other problematic things next to her that was just so wrong that I could not give her a pass. Right. Whereas... Um, Sean King has, from what I understand and what I've seen, has done nothing but good work, has supported the movement, has not tried to put himself out there as some kind of savior, but been like, here's what's going on, here's what you need to know, here's how you can get involved. But but I had to say to myself, if it's not okay for, for people to throw death threats at Sean King and to, to tell him that he's crazy or, you know, not or de-legitimize him, why is it okay to do that to Rachel Dozal? I mean, that is a great question, Stanley, and I do understand we have to wrap up the news, round up, um, and move on. But that is some food for thought, and I think that we can all continue to think about that during the week. But for now, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more and actually all about the Black Lives Matter movement. We'll be questioning, is this a moment or is this a movement? Stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. I am here, Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill and Tiff Bisley for Shizzle. Selena, you know what song I should have put on the playlist today, but I forgot? What? 
Black of the Berry from Kendrick Lamar. Oh. If we're going to be talking about black stuff today, I should have had one black angry stuff. black song. At least I'm one. You, that is my angry black song anthem. I remember the first time that song came out and I played it in my room, in the living room, and I'm and like I had to turn it down. I'm like, oh, snap. I'm probably scaring the crap out of my white roommate. Oh, goodness. <laughs> no, nah, Gabby's cool. She was like, Stanley, turn that up. Uh, turn it up. Oh, God. Yeah, Gabby's She's about, trying to she, ready to get ratchet. She's she about that life. Uh-oh. All right, guys. So we're back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. On oh, 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice I'm of I'm going to have to stab you. Oh, guys, oh but, but really? With this now pen. there's proof. Yes, there is proof. I just incriminated myself. Guys, forgive me again. I am a little nasally because I am suffering from allergies and sinuses. <laughs> so this is not how I normally sound. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Gentlemen, man out there who looking for a girlfriend this is exactly how she sounds imagine talking to this nasally voice on the phone hey baby <laughs> that was not I'll bless a, you that was not a plea to men okay stanley you're not trying to get chose out here anyway thank you for no. thank you for borderline offending me Aww, um, offend you, Selena. <laughs> it's all good you though know, i'm used to Selena's it Selena's pretty she looks like a bag of money guys all right, thank you for cleaning it up You're in welcome. that way. What is the bag of money like? How is that an appealing thing? Hey, I didn't make the song. Tiff Bizzle, enlighten us. I, I don't know. And, like, if <laughs> I made a song about a girl being beautiful, a woman, I'd be like, she looks like a bag of books well, freshly I mean, purchased from Barnes Noble or Strand. That's attractive to me. I mean, a bag of free money would be attractive to anybody. Oh, that is, oh okay, exactly. free money. Because like, a bag of money is lumpy, so <laughs> that's not like a... Stanley's not- taking it too literal. All right. Fine. All right, guys. So we're going to have to jump into the segment to stop Stanley for a minute. But um, we're going to be talking again about Black Lives Matter, this movement. There is no question about it that Black Lives Matter has made a significant impact across our nation since its inception in 20. 20- 13, following the acquittal of George Zimmerman and the Florida shooting of uh, African-American unarmed teenager Trayvon Martin. And since then, the movement has raised awareness about a number of issues regarding racial injustice. That includes like the disproportionate number of black people being arrested, harassed, jailed, and killed by police. Um, and also, Black Lives Matter has succeeded in getting people to hit the streets to protest about these issues and help spread awareness through through social media. I'm sure we are all familiar with that hashtag Black Lives Matter if you don't constantly use it yourself. Made from um, three women of color. Yes. Uh, yeah. Black girls are black, uh, magic. Black girls are magic. No, I was talking about Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that, Stanley. So, um, as Black Lives Matter continues to grow, a number of people and even allies of the movement, people who call themselves allies of the movement, they began to start to question uh, some of their tactics and strategy and even their goals. And um, it's been going on for a few months. We know that a number of black uh, people aligned with Black Lives Matter have interrupted different political rallies, most notably uh, Bernie Sanders. When you know, A few weeks back, he was about to step to the podium and give a speech to thousands of people and his supporters who were waiting online for hours to hear him speak and two young black women came, snatched the podium and told them why their lives matter, told them why black lives matter and told them and, and held uh, Bernie Sanders accountable uh, to a certain large degree for his work and just not speaking enough uh, about the issue. But... A number of people criticized it, and, and especially people within that audience. It was a majority white audience, and they were saying things like, you know what, get off the stage. Some people said they should be tased. Some people say they should be arrested. They were just, you know, a lot of people did not support that particular tactic um, at all. And then 
I mean, as people, as they received a lot of backlash, a number of people aligned with the movement were saying, you know what? We shouldn't even be focusing on this tactic. That's a distraction. Look, we're here to make white people uncomfortable. If you're a progressive, if you're an ally, then you should be taking this stance and you should be talking about it from this angle or this much. And if you're not doing that, then you're hindering our movement. We're going to make our voices be heard because in traditional means, it's not nothing's being done. So we're going to we're going to do things that you may call radical. But we're here to let you know we're tired of seeing black and brown women uh, be uh, black and brown men and women being killed across our nation. So, you know, moving forward, um, moving forward, then Black Lives Matter activists released a very a video of the of two protests of two leaders speaking with Hillary Clinton behind the scenes in New Hampshire. Um, so and in this video, if you guys haven't watched it, they confronted her. They also confronted the Bill Clinton administration for things that he did that helped incarcerate black people. And her stance was very straightforward. And she said, you know what? That happened, but what do you want me to do now? Where's the policy? Where's the legislation? Show me what to do because, frankly, we're not going to change hearts. We can change policy. We can change proposals. The leaders of Black Lives Matter came back. They said it to her. They also been saying in other news organizations, saying things like, well, you, you know what? It's not our job to necessarily come up with those proposals and the policy. White people are being violent against us. You need to st- you need to stop that. You know we we don't have that agency that power to stop white people from taking um from from being violent against us, and you know that that has been from my understanding their position and their point. And they also said they were very they were disappointed in Hillary Clinton's response. I personally was not when I watched the video. I thought that she managed it really really well. Um, Stanley, did you want to jump in? Well, yeah, I, I thought you were going to say more. And Tiff, did you have something to say? I mean, well, well you, you can, can you can go for it. Yeah, you can you can jump so, in. Right now. I would. I actually agree with Hillary too, because as someone who's running for office and is thinking about policy, that's the kind of response I would expect from her. It would make sense. It's when someone has a problem, you go to an elected official. We have a problem. There are only certain things that they can do to address that issue. So it's speak out on it, fund something, or pass legislation. Those are the three biggest things that they can do. When you're running for president and you're talking to someone who it like really wants to push legislation and they're running they have to like they have to hone this into a message that can be clear. They want to know what kind of policies do you, would you like? So when I'm crafting like my rhetoric around it and what I'm going to do towards it, I can use those as suggestions. What did you expect from someone who's running for office? Tiffany, what was your reaction? Um I took is this thing that I feel like a lot of people think that you know, why are you targeting, you know, Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton? Because it's almost like this whole preaching to the choir type of idea. And I feel like you have to come to these people because if I was preaching to the choir, then maybe there would have been more policies and more reforms already in place to really prevent a lot of this death that we're seeing around police brutality, healthcare, housing, this, that, and a third. And like you said, I'm not surprised what Hillary said. You know, it's to be expected to get a response like that from her. You know, she's trying to be as diplomatic as possible. I don't disagree with any of the tactics that are happening because every 28 hours, probably less by now, people are still dying. People are not taking it seriously. And then you have people like Trump saying that, oh, I would beat them up and Scott Walker, you know, really dismissing them. And these people that can potentially be in office, like we are in a state of emergency as black people. So I need you to really i feel like they really want um these elected officials to make this a crux of their campaign mm. and essentially they have to in a way they, can I, they can i jump in 
I'm sorry, Selena. Go ahead. Oh, did you have something quickly? Yes. You gave me a crazy look just now. I don't know if, that, if that's what they want because when Hillary said, what should I do? They were like, well, that's not our responsibility. Good point. We have to get our um, – we have a very special guest on the line who I would like to take time to introduce. And I know we're getting a lot of calls, so we you know, will definitely get to your calls as well. Um, first, let me introduce Jamia Wilson. She is a social justice activist. She is also the executive director of Women, Action, and the Media, better known as WAM with an explanation point. And she has been just leading. Um, the movement when it comes to feminist issues and herself as a black feminist she speaks speaks about race issues gender issues and how they all seem to interconnect so do we have Jamia on the line right now Stanley all right Jamia so we started the conversation about black lives matter I wanted to get your take on sort of the criticism of their method of disruption well thank you so much for having me I'm really excited that we're talking about this important topic and You know, I think that there's been so much focus on the criticism on the method of disruption and not at the heart of the matter, which is state violence and violence against black people and police brutality focused on black lives. And I think that it's easy for us to look back at things that we would have done differently. You know, I think we all kind of have had those moments in our lives when something has happened and we've wished that we could have done something differently. And people said, oh, maybe you should have done it this way or done it that way. But in the moment when people are taking action in any human endeavor, uh, we have to go and do things and then learn from them afterward. And so I think that the focus on things that individuals might have done differently or strategies that might not have been the tactics that we might have deployed personally is less important than the actual result that the people who did do these actions were able to get, which was that all of the major candidates on the progressive side started to shift their messaging around the issue of state violence, mass incarceration, and Black Lives Matter very quickly after these actions happened. Oh, I'm sorry not to cut you off, but that is a very interesting perspective. You're saying that it doesn't matter what it takes to get to the goal as long as you hit the goal. And, and of course, Black Lives Matter has said our goal is to spread advocacy and to insert this national crisis into the presidential campaign and into, into the election. And you're saying, hey, if that's what happened, then, you know, that's what it took. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, when we look back, I a lot of what happened in the past informs my work as an activist now. I really believe in listening to our elders and looking back at history and looking at things that happened and what we can do moving forward. And we had to have people working on all sides to get where we are now. And, you know, there's activists, there are revolutionaries, there are storytellers, there are media people. There, We have to have a whole ecosystem of people deploying different strategies and tactics to make this happen. And so I think that for me the tactics are less the focus of my critique and more the result and the solutions that are being brought forth now are what I'm standing behind. And I also think that we are living in a society where black women's voices are not valued. And, you know, these have been the people who who have been kind of at the front of this conversation and have led these actions that have been critiqued so much. And I think that it's important to look at the people who are being critiqued. And what does it mean in a larger sense around the fact that black women's voices 
evoke this sort of reaction from people. What does it mean when there's righteous anger and indignation coming from black women's bodies? And then there's so much focus on critique. Right. Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have Jamia Wilson on the line. She is the executive director of Women Action and the Media. And we are talking about Black Lives Matter, particularly the tactics that are getting so much criticism right now. The phone lines are now opened. So if you do want to call in, you should call in now. The number is 212-650-6903. What you're saying, Jamia, you know, it's really, really interesting. And I understand your perspective. But then you have the other half of people who were saying, and you know, I know some of them, people People who are on, uh, who affiliate themselves as or call themselves progressives are very liberal. And they say it's it sort of alienates me when I see uh, these black women inciting or, or telling these these white progressives there to see Bernie Sanders that they're racist or, you know, Bernie Sanders just taking such a hard turn and like almost alluding that Bernie Sanders is not on their side or on our side. And I, I hear the progressives saying that I was once an ally and now I can't really understand or respect these tactics. So I, my question is, and, you know, everybody can answer this question. Everybody can answer this question. But the question is, is are these particular tactics driving a division in the progressive movement? Can I go first? Okay, you can go first, Nelly. Thank you so much. Anyone who all of a sudden is not an ally anymore because a protester or an activist hurt their feelings or made them feel uncomfortable was never an ally to begin with. You know how many times someone from the feminist movement has sent from my soul because I said something problematic or they deemed something I said or did problematic, whether I knew so or not? When you come in as a supporter, as a person of privilege, you must understand that you will be very aware of your otherness and sometimes they will not come out in a way that you like it. But if you're going to support that is how you support by taking the lumps and still being there that's one and two um i want to respond to the original comment from the from the, from the guest bernie sanders i thought has started to respond after the first net interruption so i didn't really understand the thought process behind the second one was that really necessary jimia you know i think that and i 100 percent agree with what we were just hearing too as well about the fact that if you really are down for this movement, then the focus is on the issues and the focus is on liberation and the ultimate goal of equality. And I, I think that's where I am, too. And again, you know, I, I share that same sort of feeling around what happened with the second action. You know, it would not have been my my personal next step tactic, um, but I also don't believe that it's in is that it's my job to judge the people who felt like it was important for them to speak out and to center the issues of their community when they feel that their issues are being marginalized. And again, I do I do think I would have deployed different strategy, especially in the, in the second case. But I also think that instead of criticizing the people who did it, I'm more focused on the result and the fact that we saw very quickly after that real response from these campaigns on social media and in terms of people putting forth um, policy discussions and conversations. And so, and I will also talk about the discomfort that you just mentioned for a second, too, that I find myself feeling very uncomfortable in these sorts of situations. But I still don't think that that means that they shouldn't happen anyway, <laughs> and that the discomfort is going to be necessary for us to grow. Well, Often conversations about race, conversations about sexism are very difficult for us to have, these frank, real conversations, but we've got to move past the discomfort to get stuff done. Tiffany, really quickly before we go to break, 
Um, just to piggyback off of Stanley, I definitely think if you're an ally, you have to make sure that you are not centering yourself. And like uh, Jamia just said, you know, sometimes when you have these conversations, she is uncomfortable. But you also have to think about, you know, black people are uncomfortable every single day when they live in these communities that be, are severely over-policed. So I think when it comes to, like, allyship, if you're going to take it away as soon as we do something that you deem inappropriate, then like Stanley said, you were never an ally. And I feel like a lot of these allies has to stop centering themselves. When we come back, thank you, Tiffany. When we come back, we have Christine on the line and some other people that want to let their voices be heard. Stay tuned. This is my jam, though. <laughs> Something. Some, oh, we on air. Zamzaddy. <laughs> coffee in the morning. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Ooh, this is R&B Stanley. Hold it's on. It's like quiet storm. Hold on. I'm about to hit y'all with some R&B jams right no. here. I want to feel. Okay. Dum, dum. Body rolling. Dump, oh, dump. Oh. I want to show you, baby. I'm going to get you. Dad, I need you. Let me get to the chorus. And who can love you like me? Nobody. Who can treat you like me? Nobody. Who can interrupt <laughs> Selena's segment? Stanley Fritz, baby. And Selena's going to talk. Go ahead, girl. Thank you for again. Won't, won't, won't. No. A grand. <laughs> Introduction, Stanley. I don't know who you're supposed to be today. Trap Lord. Okay, singing Trap Lord, Stanley Fritz on the um on the PC ones and twos. Guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. All jokes aside, we're having a great discussion with Jamia Wilson. She is the executive director of Women Action and the Media, aka WAM, and we're talking about Black Lives Matter. She is a strategist and a movement builder herself, and we're talking about how the Black Lives Matter activists have been building their movement. And we're gonna ask the question, you know, later on in the segment. Are they building it to have a lasting impact, or will this just be for a moment, which is sort of similar to what happened with Occupy Wall Street? Debatable. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I understand we do have a caller on the line. We have Christine, who would like to let her voice be heard. The floor is yours. Hi. Good afternoon, everybody. I was listening to the discussion and um, the critiques of the activists who interrupted Bernie Sanders' speech. And I thought it was beautiful because of the simple fact that it reminded me of the sit-ins back in the 50s when we had the original civil rights movement. And all the people who were critiquing what these young women did, those are the same things that were said during the sit-ins when people were hosed and dogs were let loose on them. So if people are saying the same thing about this, um, this, this act, you're doing the right thing because that was the exact same knee-jerk reaction everybody had the last time. And we see that there was a lot of good that came from it. Now, when we talk about our political, um, the politics of the presidency, even though there's a lot of people who are against it and there's a lot of progressives that are on board and some people are now, it sounds a little bit like they're changing their stance, that's also a good thing because even though this is a movement, it's also a battle. And right now the battle lines are being drawn, and everybody is getting into their positions. So when it comes time to vote, as black people, we, need to keep in, we have to keep in mind what's being said right now. If you seem to like somebody's politics, but they're sitting there saying that those women should have been tased, understand that they think that if you speak your mind, 
at an inopportune moment, it's okay to tase you. That's not going along with what you believe. So if that's important to you, when it comes, when November comes, remember the reaction to all the, the different protests. Remember all of those things when it comes to the person you're planning on voting for, because they're letting you know. Nobody's going to 100% flat out say, you know what, I think it's okay to kill unarmed black people. But their reactions will tell you if they have a problem with killing unarmed black people. And if that's something that matters to you, use your voting power in November to let them know they either come on board or you have no place mm. having a say in what I what affects me. So they- get down or lay down. Thank you so much for calling in, Christine. We definitely appreciate your, your feedback, guys. If you're listening and you want to chime in, the number is 212-650-6903. Or tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. So Christine made a, you know, a, 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 large, a really good points, And um, I, I wanted to push back a little bit because I think that, you know, what if... This might not be a good example, but what if, let's say, you were at, like, a concert or you paid tickets to see Beyonce or something like that, and they were like, well, you know what, or, you know, these people, like, who um, have a lot of acclaim and a lot of fame in the black community, they should also be using their platform to speak out against these issues. Um, and let's just say you wanted to push them to do the same thing. I understand they're not running for president, and they don't have to address this, but, like, are are we saying when we say that the black when we say that the black protesters just were you know they were expressing themselves at an inopportune time was it just like inopportune or is that like downplaying you know the fact that this was a political campaign this was a political rally and we haven't necessarily seen them take as action like this against people like Hillary Clinton probably because they couldn't because Hillary Clinton, I would uh, presume, has a, a whole army of forces around her as security <laughs> guards that would never let someone get to that platform. So are they just taking advantage of the fact that Bernie Sanders, you know, he's more accessible? The squad. Well, yes and no. But Bernie knows he's going to be interrupted. Get some better security. You saw Hillary shot that down and met with them. Yes. I mean, what, um, what do you like? What do, y- what do y'all want? I mean, I don't necessarily agree. I don't necessarily I didn't necessarily agree strategy-wise with the Seattle election. Actually, I didn't agree strategy-wise with the Seattle election because I thought he had already begun responding, and I thought at that point it was time to give him a chance to show because, like, two days before the um, interruption came, he just rolled out a policy, um, his like his policy for, you know, criminal justice reform and in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, and he released a video talking directly to, like, people of color, the black community, saying why he wanted to be their president, and there had been traction. But, I mean, like... Bernie knows what's going down. Every presidential candidate knows you will be interrupted. President Obama is interrupted by people all the time talking about whales need winter coats or some other nonsense. So why wouldn't you not be... Why wouldn't you expect that to happen? Um, I want to get Jamia's um, response on that and then we have another caller on the line who we'll go to. I actually think that if someone wants to be commander-in-chief of our country, they need to be ready for this sort of thing to happen. (laughs) You know, being disrupted at a rally or at a progressive protest is nothing when you're thinking about negotiating nuclear deals. <laughs> so I think that in that same case, I agree that this is something that if we purport to be in favor of free speech and democracy, that this should be celebrated and that, you know, when people come in and they protest, that I'm a believer that we should, you know, take note and listen if we agree with the principles of that protest. And I also think that 
it's really important to think about the fact that in Bernie Sanders' case, the in the recent video that came out, um, I think it was a Meet the Press video recently, where he said that he did he was not going to apologize about his response to Black Lives Matter and shutting people down. And one of the takes that I read that I thought was really interesting, which was from someone who had actually been a part of the action at Netroot, who said, you know, not only did he say he didn't apologize, you know, right after he was rolling these policies out and asserting his civil rights record to kind of re-ingratiate himself the community, but also it undermines the new black woman who's been hired as the face of the campaign who had apologized on behalf of the campaign. And so him coming out after she apologized and then saying, oh, actually, people on my staff apologized and jumped the gun, but I'm actually not apologizing. I don't think that was a good look. Right. Now, I remember um, that interview where he did just clarify and say that I didn't authorize that apology at all. Um, but I do want to give... That was dumb for me. Right. I, I don't know how strategic that was. Um, I do want to give... We have another next... call on the line. Yeah. Internet, um, it sounds like you're having a trap party. I need you to turn, <laughs> turn, to turn it down and go to another room real quick so we can get you on air. Yes, Antoinette. Um, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Floor is yours. Okay, cool. Yeah, my name is Antoinette. Um, I'm actually from, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, um, but I live in New York. Um, and just coming off of a trip um, in New Orleans, and I just wanted to um, talk um, about, you know, like, black, the Black Lives um, Matter. Just like, you know, y- y'all were saying, like, oh, is this, like, a moment or is this a movement, right? Um, and for me, it's like growing up in Charleston um, and then, like, being in New York for as long as I've been. And also even, like, being in, like, different places, um in the states, you know, from, like, traveling and stuff, it's, like, the, I feel like the, the experience that we feel, like, within um, any of these states, any of these towns that, like, I've been in, in, it's still a stifling presence of this, like, police force or this kind of white supremacist, like, attitude, and um, it, it, it hasn't changed, you know, it doesn't change from, like, wherever you are within this nation, within, this, within these states. Um, and I feel like because it hasn't changed and because, you know, it's like black lives are go beyond a moment in time, it's like this is this is truly a movement, um, especially if, you know, you're every single day um, having to deal with, um, you know, wor- worrying about, like, you know, how you're dressed or, like, you know, how someone's going to um, receive you in anything that you're doing, whether it's going out and, like, having fun with your friends or, you know, going into some type of, type of academic atmosphere, like how someone's going to um, receive you. And then when you come into contact with a cop, like forever wondering, like, how that's going to um, affect um, your daily life. Um, you know, this is, this is about, you know, broadcasting, you know, a movement, like broadcasting, like, you know, your everyday life and how, um, you know, the society has over the years just kept pushing at you and kept, you know, um, beating you down because they feel as though, you know, they, they have that right. They have the entitlement to um, just not care how, you know, your life is when, you know, they're white and privileged and don't have to worry about those day-to-day um, affairs. You know, I feel that, you know, this is a movement. Yeah, it feels like, oh, this is just another thing that, like, black people are talking about, another thing that black people are just very... Um, mad about in the moment, right? But it's like, no, we've been mad. 
we've been talking about it, and right. this is just, you know, another kind of, I guess, like, uptick in our anger and in our, um, you know, indignation about, um, you know, the society that we live in. Thank you so much, Antoinette, for calling in and giving um, your critique on the question that we've been posing on Twitter and um, also on our website. Is Black Lives Matter a moment or a movement? And I wanted to throw that, you know, just ask that question, open it up to our panel and, of course, our special guests. Um, and, and sort of question, well, of course, like Antoinette said, um, Black lives are always going to matter, and it seems like there's not going to be a near future where we can stop actively pushing for our own justice and our own liberation. But I think that when we ask, you know, the question of is this movement, you know, which is sort of projecting itself or posturing itself as like the new civil rights movement, when it comes to having the lasting impact and tangible changes, like as we've seen in civil rights, we've seen um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and all the named and unnamed activists of that movement pushed for, to have the Voting Rights Act pushed and this was one of the most historic pieces of legislation in our country and also there was also a number of other reforms that were made um, when we see Black Lives Matter do we see this as just a move, a moment where a lot of people on social media think it's cool to use the hashtag, they come out to rallies but they're not really doing anything else they're not signing petitions, they're not you know, they're not really taking it to the next step and stuff like that does fizzle out, I mean if you look at you know Occupy Wall Street every you know a lot of you people in my own circle were very big into going down to the rally and you know joining the movement but once it phased out of and it wasn't getting as much media coverage it's like what really happened and what really you know like what are the results like when we read our history books 20 years from now what is it going to say um, about this you know and if we look at let's look at something like the Tea Party which sprung up when President Barack Obama our first African American president was elected you know, not only did the Tea Party start out as a grassroots organization, but they moved to elect officials and change policy that has lasting results to this day in our country and moving forward. So that's how I'm looking at it when I ask the question, is Black Lives Matter a movement or a moment? And I'll start with you, Tiffany. Um, I think people want us to ask for permission you know, we're getting to the point where it's like, you know, can we do this? Can we interrupt you? Can we have this meeting? And we see that black people are no longer people of color. Um, we can't be expected to put faith in a system that has systematically oppressed us, whether it's through, you know, racist uh, police departments or institutionalized racism with different policies. Because last year, we have all remember Clive and Bundy and, you know, the cattle rancher who refused to pay federal taxes and everyone was, like, you know, calling him a national hero. Rand Paul was like, yes, he's awesome. Until he said something racist, it's crazy. And I was like, but that was kind of should have been expected. But, like, no one called him out when he had, you know... Um, people that were actively have weapons, like fixed on federal agents. These are people that are walking in the street asking for questions when Mike Brown was laying in the um on the ground, or when the recent um young kid that got shot in St. Louis, when people were saying like you know disputes, uh that the plainclothes police officers just went into the the community and started shooting at these boys. So it's just like it's getting to the point that we're no longer asking for permission. Can we or can we not do something? I don't think this is a moment because I feel like you have a lot of people that have uh, woke up and this hasn't started I mean it started yes with um, Mike Brown 
but you know we had sean bell and trayvon martin all these people like leading up to this like we've experienced so many um cases where there was just no justice where we did put our faith in the system in our elected officials and they failed us time and time again so i think now we're seeing that students and people and young people millennials are just like listen it's enough whether you like that i'm interrupting bernie sanders or not or i'm interrupting hillary or you know um, any other person that is going to be in office, we want to see what you're talking about because now you have to earn our votes. You know, now you have to tell us how are you going to make a difference for black and brown people in this country because you're killing us. You're killing us whether you, like Stanley spoke about earlier in the show, whether we have food deserts in our communities, lack of education, you know, or poor housing. You are attacking us on all fronts. You know, police brutality is just, you know, on the main stage right now. But black people and people of color, poor people, we are being attacked on all fronts. I think this police side, this issue is just allowing us to get into the door. But we have so many other issues to address, and I don't think it's definitely not a moment. So you mentioned that we're being attacked on all fronts, and I think that in order to win the war for black liberation, or liber- liberation of all underrepresented people, because when I say liberation, obviously I want the liberation of African Americans, first and foremost, but then we also have to make sure we are fighting for LGBT people, specifically trans people. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure we're fighting for women's rights. There is a swath, there's, there's a huge group of people who are underrepresented, who have been the underdog and who have been mistreated and just ignored by the status quo. So we had to make sure we fight for them as well. And I believe that the only way you can win this battle is by fighting it from different fronts. And not just four or five fronts, but all fronts. So Black Lives Matter, if the goal is to just get people talking about it and get their attention, that is fine. But we need something like this is the movement who just came out with Campaign Zero. And they have a 10-point plan. They have 10 pieces of legislation that they suggested as as a goal to end all police violence. So to have all unarmed people being killed from police, have that number go down to zero by the year um, 2025, I believe it is. You need people like that. You need people who are going to go and run for office and take over the system. Because in the civil rights movement, it wasn't just marching and speeches. There was policy and there were conversations. And as much as people hate the system that we have, this is the system. And you're not just going to turn over a system that's been working for over 200 years and things are going to be okay. It takes time. Uh, Jimmy, what do you think of when you even hear the question, is Black Lives Matter a moment or a movement? I wholeheartedly believe that it's a movement. I think that this is the fact that we're seeing such attention being paid to it, the fact that this transference of power of voice and the leveraging of grassroots that has been done in such a decentralized movement, and the fact that there have been actual campaign policy statements as well as responses that have emerged as a result of this organizing is very powerful and shows that it's a movement. And I also think that I agree that it's taken a long time for us to get here and for the system of oppression to be built, and it's going to take time to dismantle it, and it will take a movement to dismantle it. And then finally, I think it's really important to think about the fact that the cultural tipping point where it makes things that are taken for granted by many people who aren't experiencing oppression um, seem normalized or commonplace needs to change. And so this movement is a movement because it's not just about politics and legislation. It's about important shifts in culture and society that also need to be made beyond politics. So we have a lot of work to do because it needs to be fought on all fronts. 
Right. Thank you so much, Jamia, for that comment and also joining us and calling in to our show today. If Can you please let our listeners know how they can follow you and also get in touch with your organization, WAM? Thank you so much for having me. I've loved being in this conversation with you. To follow me, follow me on Twitter at Jamia, J-A-M-I-A-W, and also follow Women Action in the Media at, at Women Act Media. Looking forward to movement building with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. And I just want to close out by saying really quickly that, you know, just to reiterate some points that it is important for us to understand that Black Lives Matter as a movement is shifting the way that we talk about trans people of color, um, the way we talk and see black and brown people being shot and killed, uh, whether they're uh, usually when they're unarmed. Um, It is shifting, you know, just the notion and the language and the rhetoric. And it also has shifted the way media covers all of these things. And that's very important and crucial. But I think that when it comes to the policy and the changes, I think that that is just as important or if not more important than because the thing is what I've noticed, especially like throughout generations and when it comes to activism it's almost like on trend things shift there was not that long ago when the big thing for progressives to be talking about was immigration or feminism or you you know what i'm saying or or lgbt issues and trans issues and i think that uh, you know it, it sort of fluctuates like the popularity of it even though you always have those on the ground activists who dedicate their lives to fighting for this one root cause when it comes to the masses our attention does shift very quickly and i'm not confident that black lives matter the the, the hashtag the movement will be as prevalent in our lives um, in a few years from now. But I will say that if we get the, 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 these policies and proposals passed, then that would be the best way to leave a lasting impression. And even if, you know, the Black Lives Matter activists themselves don't go out and get this stuff pushed, I think that they have ignited and sparked other people like the activists behind Campaign Zero and the reform movements behind police accountability. I think that we can always thank Black Lives Matter for putting these issues to the forefront and then helping and then acting as a catalyst to get it done as other people aligned with the movement are doing. So with that said, we're going to go on a quick break and then we're going to come back to the quickie right here and let your voice be heard. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Do the day, now walk it out. Oh, choked on my own saliva. (laughs) We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard, though, on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Did I mention that we also stream from Scatter Mother Loving Radio? And if you want to stream from Scatter Radio, you can, but I'm not going to tell you how because I just want you to listen to Let Your Voice Be Heard on Scatter Radio and on WHCR 90.3 FM. Oh, and we're also on iTunes Radio, so if you like to listen to podcasts, we are on iTunes and Stitcher or Sticker, whatever it's called. Um, It is LYVBH Radio. You can subscribe subscribe to us right now, and you will get every single episode we have ever made. We have over 200 episodes on both of those streaming devices. So, yes, get down with that swirl. We're here to talk about Donald Trump. So, recently at a KKK, sorry, at a Donald Trump rally in Alabama, where people were screaming out white power. That is true. They were really (laughs) screaming out white power? Yeah. (laughs) Donald Trump, my favorite candidate since Rick Santorum, 
announced his immigration plan. So I'm here to tell you all about it. It's not that complicated. His goal is to deport every single undocumented immigrant in the U.S., probably just the Spanish ones. So let's say about 11 million people. And the way he wants to do this is by through four ways. One, he wants to increase the funding for Border Patrol and give them more flexibility when going after people who, quote-unquote, jumped the border, so to speak. Two, he wants to amend the 14th Amendment so that we no longer have birthright citizenship. What does that mean? That means if you were born in this country but your parents were not, you are not automatically a citizen. So my father was not born here, neither was my mother. I would be an immigrant under this law. Three, he wants to build a fence a wall, pardon me, at the border, but he doesn't want to pay for it. He wants Mexico to pay for it because Mexico is going to be like, yeah, we should pay for that. And four, the final one, and I'm doing so amazing on quickies. One thing I'm good at, guys, is finishing fast. Ooh. Never forget that. Oh, four. God. <laughs> That's what she said. Anyways, <laughs> four, he wants to get authorization from Congress to compensate any money that illegal immigrants send back to their families in Mexico. Because according to him, illegal immigrants send back over $22 million to Mexico for money they made in America. And he wants to put a stop to that. That is Donald Trump's immigration plan. Yes, it is. He will build a wall with the door on there. No, he won't. There will be no door. And he wants to make it harder for people who are actually legal immigrants to find work or to make money in America. Oh, and I forgot, he also wants to take away any kind of benefits you can get as an undocumented person in America. So say if Selena is an immigrant, but Tiffany, you're her daughter, um, and she gets public assistance for you, he wants to cut that off. That's Donald Trump's plan. If you like it and you also like white power, you should vote for him. Guys, other than that, we are pretty much done here. That was what he wanted to do. That is what we wanted to talk about. And now I want to end the show with some more Kanye West because I think it's very important that we understand that power is a thing. Oh, that... are you going to play Power by Kanye? Yeah, that's what we were just playing. That, that is excellent. All right, guys. So thanks so much for tuning in. Special thanks to Tiffany for coming yeah, in studio with us. Yeah. Thanks talking... for having me. No, you, you are a pleasure. And I want to thank <laughs> all of our listeners, our callers, and our special guests who called in from around the country. We appreciate you guys. And guess what? We'll be back here here on WHCR next Sunday. Same time, same place. Word.